Hello, and welcome to the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. Today's message is here to help you preach the good news everywhere in your day-to-day life. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we accomplish this by encountering God, loving people, and serving others with everything we've got. Now let's dive in. So we're in part number three. I hope everybody has a handout. And those of you that made it last night, man, thank you so very much. This was overflowing with a lot of volunteers last night. That was so amazing. I I tell you, I believe that that's one of the greatest indicators of great growth on the horizon for God to do something amazing when you see people stepping up and serving so um, and uh, so we ran out of food. I found out today that Joy, during the middle of serving, had to run out and get more food at the grocery store. <laughs> That's pretty awesome, to be honest with you. So we'll do that a little different next time to ensure that we have everything. We've got, uh, I don't know, eight or ten people joining us online. If you guys say something, we'll say, hey, if you don't, We'll leave you alone, but uh, feel free to interact, and hopefully you got your digital handout today. If you have not yet gotten a digital handout, maybe you're not connected with the church through our text line of 94,000. To be able to get every single week your digital handout, just text the word connected to 94,000. We send that out to everyone every single week along with the menu for Wednesday nights, and you can sign up for that and have yours already, whatever uh, we are having on Wednesday nights. All right, so uh, here we go. We're in part three, lesson three of our demonology teaching, and uh, here's what I want to do. This is not actually in your notes, but I want to set it up like this. Um, I want to have somebody to read 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. And then I'm going to have someone to read Ephesians 6 and 12. And then I'm going to have someone to read 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. So let me try that again. 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. Who's going to take that one? Jan's going to take that one. What about Ephesians 6, 12? Amy's going to take that one. What about 2 Corinthians 2 and 11? Who will take that one for us? All right, Janie's going to do that one. So here, And you'll, you'll get the reason why I'm doing this first off. I want you to start with 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4. Oh, yes. Sorry. We forgot to get you a mic, Sam. My bad. Sure. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 2. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such as one caught up to the... Such, a, such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. All right, so you've, you, you hear that. He said, I know such a man. And if you look at the, the context of Scripture there, Paul actually gives you who that man was. It was himself, but he would, was not wanting to boast or brag in any way But he said he was caught up to the third heaven. The reason I want to point that out is when we begin to talk here a little bit more about the work of demons and Satan, I want you to understand the Bible, often English translators translated the word heaven uh, every time that heaven is mentioned, but it's actually speaking of three separate potential dimensions. The first heaven is the literal heavens that we might would say if you look up into the sky, it's the atmosphere, looking into the heavens, looking out to space, um, looking up. That is literal. That's one uh, expression of heaven. The second one is the second heaven, and the second heavens is a spiritual dimension, and it is where Satan and the demonic reside. And if you kind of see this play out a little bit, when Daniel is praying and the prince of Persia withstands, the answer comes from the third heaven, but passing to the, the sec, through the second heavens, the answer, 
he was buffeted. Buffeted means to be withstood. Uh, and the second heaven is where Satan dwells. It is of a spiritual dimension, but it is not heaven as it pertains to God's dwelling place. And it is not the atmosphere that you see, you know, when you're looking up into the sky. And then Paul speaks here of the third heaven. And he says, when he ascended there, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. But I saw and heard things too marvelous for me to speak of. And so the third heaven is the abode of God. It is the dimension where God and holy angels uh, reside. So I want you to understand that as we start talking here a little bit. So um, this, here's the thing. The second heaven, which is where Satan resides, and the third heaven both want to affect the literal. God wants to affect the literal in terms of governmental alignment on earth as it is in heaven. However, Satan wants rebellion. So he wants to affect it in a way that does not express or is in rebellion or contradiction to the things in, in heaven. God said, and that was his original intent when he created the earth and man's domain is that man would rule in the earth mirrored like God rules in heaven. And that, that in this domain, it would be the expression of God in the earth. But we know that, that Adam fell and lost that because of the interaction, the way that Satan manifested to disrupt the on earth as it is in heaven expression. And so that is extremely important for you and me to understand. And we as Christians are supposed to, when Jesus taught us to pray, he had taught the disciples to pray on earth as it in, is in heaven is to re-mirror or recapture the intent of God. That's why when we as the people of God function and operate here on this earth, we take the word of God and we peer into God's domain, God's ways, God's function in order that the earth may function more like there. And we know that Jesus will eventually come back, make all things new, and it will function that way. Jesus will literally reign on this earth. We know a thousand years during the millennial reign. So, so the point being is that we as the people of God are supposed to function in that way. We peer into the heavenly realm through the lens of the word of God and the revelation of the Holy Spirit that we may operate on earth as it is in heaven. That is, that's how we're supposed to govern our families. That's how we're supposed to govern our church. That's how we're supposed to govern our conduct. That's why we vote the way we do. That's why we express the way we do because we believe that when earth aligns with heaven, heaven's favor comes up on the earth. The Bible says the people rejoice when the righteous rule. Uh, it's extremely important. We believe that the favor of God comes up on us and up on the earth when we do our very best to function in alignment with, with heaven. The, the, the rebellion comes in is when we actually fall under the influence of the enemy and we then operate under the curse of the second heaven which is ultimately going to be done away with, judged for all eternity. Angels and, or demons and the devil. Fallen angels and the devil. So I want you to understand that. So let's go to Ephesians 6 and 2. Amy, will you read that for us? Excuse me, 6.12, thank you. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness in this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So there you find heavenly places, and it's different from the third heaven that, uh, that Paul references in 2 Corinthians. So he's referencing another heaven and that's where the warfare ensues. That's where the warfare happens because um, that is what is trying to uh, affect 
the world so that the world operates in rebellion, flying into the face of God's intent for the world. So 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 says what? Janie? Yeah, 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. Um, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So, so that's in the context of forgiveness. If you actually were to read that whole scripture, and that's very important to understand context, because without proper context, you can make the scripture mean anything you want. But in the context, it's about forgiveness. And actually, if we don't forgive, uh, it potentially leaves a door open for Satan to come in and operate. But he uses a phrase here. He says, he talks about that and saying that, that we're not ignorant concerning the devil's devices. In other words, God says, here, here's what that means. That means that in the pages of the word of God, God's not only given revelation of himself. He's not only given revelation of the angels in heaven. He's also given revelation of the devil and how he works. And tonight, that's what we want to look into. We want to look into the, the, how Satan and his minions operate. And just like in so many ways, when uh, God operates, uh, he reveals a, a, a characteristic about himself and a name attached to it. Several years ago, we did a series on the names of God. Many of you have probably studied the names of God. Uh, you know, El Roy, El Elohim, uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, uh, Adonai, um, Jehovah, and all the suffixes that would be added to it, whether it's Jireh or Shalom or Sitkanu or all the different ones. Throughout the scripture, when you see God revealed in a name, there's also a demonstration of his name attached to it. So, for instance, when Jehovah Jireh was kind of on the scene, like beforehand, you kind of see God as creator, authoritative, uh, that sort of thing, but not so much a provider, not so much a provider of the, of the highest of human needs. Yes, we see that in the garden, but after the fall, the greatest expression of God meeting the right now human need was when Abraham was sacrificing Isaac, and the Bible said God will provide for himself a lamb. Actually, the King James says provide himself a lamb, which I think is a more accurate prophetic demonstration of the fact that God himself is going to come down and become the lamb. But more modern translations kind of have it, God will provide for himself a lamb. The word God will provide is actually the name Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord who provides. Actually, the more literal is the translation, God will see to it. God will see to this matter. So in, in the, the revelation of God, there, when he begins to, uh, in his word, give revelation knowledge so that we're not ignorant concerning the devil's devices. There's a name attached to the devil at a time that he does a demonstration. So, so let's just, uh, let's just kind of go through that and you'll see this. If you went back and read all these scriptures, I'm going to, you got them in your book, in your outline. You can go back and read them later, but you'll see this. So the first one is obviously the word Satan. How many know his original name was Lucifer? Satan is more of a title rather than a name. A title given to him which means adversary or war enemy. Satan is the adversary or war enemy. And when the name Satan is used in the scripture, you'll see that it is in a warfare or an adverse situation and that's a great revelation for us to understand that when you're trying to operate in the things of God and you feel like there is resistance things that come against when you are trying to honor God 
you can recognize that potentially that's Satan trying his very best to keep you from advancing in God. So he's the adversary. Second, second one, Ephesians 2, the ruler of the air, the ruler of the air speaks of his spiritual nature. No, he doesn't control the wind outside. That's not what that's about. It's not about him controlling whether it's a southeast wind or a northwest wind or whatever. It's about the dimension with which he operates in the spiritual realm. In other words, that is an indicator, and it's actually in the context of the same scripture in Ephesians, that we're wrestling in a different dimension. You can't win spiritual warfare with natural tactics. You can't, you're going to win spiritual warfare when you are operating from a spiritual perspective. Now, I'm not going to say that God doesn't give you practical applications for spiritual truths, but the war first is engaged in the realm of the spirit through prayer, through prayer, seeking God, prayer and fasting. Uh, you get insight into the maybe a more practical way to operate from the Lord, but the battle ensues first in the realm of the spirit. That's why it's important for us to pray and fast. In fact, I would say, I would go on even to say that I think prayer and fasting, one of the things that we ought to pray for more than about anything is discernment. Uh, I think the church lacks discernment in this 21st century more than about anything because right now, anything that says Jesus, we think that it means the Jesus of the Bible. Anything that says God, we think they serve our God. Anybody that kneels in an end zone, we think God's with them because they're kneeling. Friends, if, if we're that gullible, we're not going to understand true, authentic spiritual warfare. And it leaves us vulnerable. So he's the prince of this world, speaks of the realm of his domain, the prince of this world, meaning that the the near domain to humanity as it results of human beings as a whole, the nearest domain is demonic. That's why so many people are influenced by it. It wasn't always that way. The nearest domain was heaven, God's abode. And, and the closest communication was with Adam and God before the fall. When Adam relinquished authority, the only reason the enemy assumes any authority is because he got it because of Adam's relinquishing it through the fall. Therefore, the domain that come nearer to humanity was Satan's domain. And it's so easy for us to yield to that. All human beings, we with intentionality have to pursue and seek God and God's will and God's way. So anyway, prince of darkness. This describes his kingdom. His kingdom is a nature of darkness. Darkness without revelational light, without illumination, without... Uh, and, and darkness is an adverse term in this, in this uh, context. It's adverse. It's not... The Bible says that he takes us from darkness unto light. Uh, so that's part of when Satan is described, he's sometimes described as the prince of darkness. He's described as the God of this world, meaning he seeks worship and allegiance. The God of this world, he seeks worship and allegiance. Now, again, these are revelations that come from Scripture and I, sh I, I, last time we talked about this, or talked, I shared with you some people that have kind of more of an Anakian view of the way the enemy works by using the book of Enoch. Again, and I told you it, it could be right, but it could also be 100% wrong. And when you are in, in any question, you need to stick to the Bible. You need to stick to the Word of God, and I don't care who is out there trying to give demigod's identity and all those sort of things. I've heard, I've heard people say, well, you know, these, these, these 
Persian people and these Egyptian people, it wasn't just their imaginations. They were having encounters with demigods. Listen to me. That's not fully in the scripture, so that's not where you need to get your revelation from. It comes from the book of Enoch, but that doesn't make it true. Uh, uh, the devil. He's, the word devil is slanderer. He runs down God and Christians. He's referred to as the dragon in Revelation, a horrendous beast, devouring, breathing out death, referred to as serpent, silent, sneaking, in, with, venomous, with venom to destroy. Beelzebub, which means literally Lord of the flies, he lords over all demons. Belial, uh, which means wicked. Everything about him is wicked. He's called the adversary. Peter calls him the adversary. He stands against God, God's church, and its mission. He's noted as the accuser of the brethren. He always desires to bring chaos and division through accusation. He's called the enemy in Matthew 13 and 39, not to be friended. In other words, anything of, the, of Satan is an enemy to you, an enemy to God, and it will never turn out like you think it will turn out. He's called the tempter. He knows our weakness and weaknesses and sets traps for those weaknesses. He's called the wicked one in Matthew 13. He, he motive, he, his motives will never be true. Um, he's called the thief. He wants to steal your joy, your peace, your health, your family, your life, etc. He's called the murderer. He is a killer of life and hope. Hate is also murder. Hello, somebody. Hate is also murder. So if, if, if there is something that's wooing you to hate, it's probably of the spiritual realm and the murderer is tempting in that way. He's called a roaring lion, describes his mood, he, how he moves and his appetite. How he moves, very sneaky, very sly, isolating, watching, opportunistic, and his appetite. He's a carnivore. Why is that important that he's a carnivore? The easiest way the enemy will get you is when you start walking in the flesh. Fleshliness is his appetite. The moment you start walking in the flesh, his chops are drooling. In, in other words, that is where that is where it's going to be so easy. So you got to watch walking in the flesh. The Bible teaches us that we're in this world, but not of this world. The, the nature of that is that we have a fleshly body, but how we're to function is from a thought process and a life that's lived out of the realm of the Spirit. Remember the Bible says in Romans 8 that if we're led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and the daughters of God. That if we walk in the Spirit, we don't mind the things of the flesh, right? If we walk in the Spirit, there's no condemnation to those who walk in the Spirit. So how many of you know that's important to walk in the Spirit? When we step in the realm of the flesh, we have to be extremely careful because that's when we become an easy, easy target for the enemy. Uh, he's called a liar, John 8. There's no truth in him. He's called an oppressor. He cannot set you free. Only enslaves and crushes us. He's the mind corrupter. In 2 Corinthians eleven three, his thoughts will confuse you and corrupt your thinking. He's called in Revelations nine a baton or Apollyon, meaning destroyer. He cannot create; he only destroys. Now, these are things that's given to you from the Word of God. 
It's extremely important. If, in other words, we're so um, apt to use one name for the enemy, and sometimes that only gives us a narrow view based upon how we understand it. And therefore, if you don't understand all the ways the enemy would, would work, what he may be baiting you to do is step into the arena of the flesh where you will lose a battle. But if you understand how he is working and the way Scripture has, has given revelation to how the enemy works, it helps you to fulfill the reality of Ephesians where the Bible, or 2 Corinthians 2 where the Bible says we're not ignorant. Now you have revelation. God says, I have taken the cover. The word revelation really, really, actually means to take the cover off. Remove the cover. It, it's just basically like saying, here's what's under the stage. God says, I'm going to take the cover off of the enemy so that you're not deceived, so that you know how he acts, how he responds, how his kingdom operates, how its nature is, everything about him, I'm going to take it off. And I want you to know it. And the reason he wants you to know it is because you heard terms like, we wrestle not. The word wrestle means there's conflict. It's a conflictual term that helps you to understand that the reason we are in conflict is because there's a real devil, there's real evil. And and so the Bible says that we're going to engage in this. This is, a, this is like a wrestling match. But how many know the Bible says that he's made us more than conquerors? So we're promised victory in spiritual battles. Isn't that good news? We're promised victory. Now, we're also warned of how we might not get victory is that if we step into the flesh. If we walk in the flesh, we become enmity. It's, it's against the nature and the will of God. And therefore, that's where our vulnerability is. There's where we'll start walking in that flesh and fulfilling the flesh's desires and desire the flesh's outcomes. And then therefore, in that arena, in that arena, we're no match for the enemy. Again, in the spirit, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Strong in the Lord and the power of his might, you're more than a conqueror. Outside of that, you are no match for him. You're no match. He'll crush you just like that. I don't care how intelligent you are. I don't care how many moral standards you have. Outside of strong in the Lord, outside of fullness of Holy Spirit and spirit working inside of you, you're no match for the enemy. He can take you out just like that. That's, that don't sound like good news. The, only, the good news in that is stay close to Jesus. Walk in God. Walk in the Spirit. You will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh or his desires. So now let's talk about specific spirits mentioned in the Bible. I want to share this with you because, and I want to be careful here with this a little bit because depending on what charismatic circles you run in, there's a spirit for everything. I understand sometimes the nature behind calling certain things spirit because the way spirits work, work is to influence thinking. Spirits influence thinking. Thinking becomes actions. And when someone is not thinking right, and it, it, it seems as though they're swayed by a spirit. And again, I understand why there's so many names for so many different spirits that people would say, my only truth guide for understanding what spirits really are is the Bible. So, let's talk about specific spirits mentioned in the Bible. In Luke eleven thirteen, 13, there's the spirit of infirmity. 
This spirit produces sicknesses and weaknesses. And just so that you know, there's still a thing called the spirit of infirmity. How many of you have ever done much reading on the spirit of infirmity? Anybody done much reading on it? That's, that's good. A couple of you have much reading on the spirit of infirmity. It's more noted by its manifestation, not so much its personality. It's kind of like these unexplained, untreatable, untreated illnesses that seem to make no sense. But the spirit of infirmity always has a root. Every spirit that operates in our life has a root of an open door. Every spirit that operates in our life has a root of an open door. In other words, some area of our thinking or our heart that has been unguarded or unsurrendered is open doors for the enemy or a spirit to come and, and, and take up residence. Again, spirits influence thinking. I could go somewhere with this. I'm going to just mention something. We, we call certain things hypochondriac. In other words, you say something's wrong and they're going to start having the symptoms pretty quickly. Um, hypochondriac. Um, I think that's a, that's a term. But I do feel like if we're not careful, um, some of the ways that we come into alignment through confessions, through hurts, through pain, through bitterness, brokenness, unforgiveness, all kinds of things... If we're not careful, we open our, our thinking up to the spirit realm that allows demonic activity to come and continuously manifest. You got to be careful with wounds. You, you, you need the Lord to heal your wounds. You don't need, oh, I need to be careful here because I do believe in good spiritual biblical counseling. I do. I, I 100% do believe in good spiritual, biblical counseling. So I'm not going to take a big wide paintbrush and say you don't need counseling. But I, I, need, I need you to be careful when you go to certain folks that begin to counsel you in a way that doesn't offer the healing of God for the wound that you may have suffered as a young person, as a child, in a divorce, whatever. Because the enemy thrives where brokenness is. He loves to come in grief. He loves to come in brokenness. He loves to come into pain. He loves to come into hurt. And he will pet that to the point that you feel justified for your actions. You were hurt so bad, so therefore nobody can't tell you you shouldn't act like this at times. You act like this, you act out like this because you're just so hurt. You're so this, you're so wounded. You have to, man, you got to be careful with that, bro. That's an open door for the enemy to come in and he'll massage that. And when he starts massaging that, it's an open door. And I know we started this on the spirit of infirmity. Multiple other spirits can come in through wounds and different things like that, but... But, but you got to be careful, especially for the spirit of infirmity, because next thing you know, you got psychological issues, you got all kinds of emotional issues, you got things that, that, that well, we'll just go on down through some of these. The next one is a deaf and dumb spirit, mentioned in Mark chapter 9, causes dumbness and deafness. Unclean spirit works to make you unclean, unholy, includes sexual deviance, an unclean spirit. Blind spirit causes blindness. Familiar spirit 
assists astrologers, palm readers, familiar spirits. Um, these things work with your zodiac signs. Man, if you have to look at your zodiac sign to find out what your life's going to look like, you have no idea what you're opening yourself up to. Your answer for where you're going in life lies in the pages of the Word of God. <laughs> but it's been so right at times. <laughs> well, it's been so wrong at times too. Okay, we good? Lying spirit. Lying spirit will cause you to believe a lie. Spirit of lunacy or insanity. All insanity is, is demonic activity. I believe that. Now, I do believe that there can be some mental issues that's going on, that sort of thing. But I believe that the enemy loves to work in areas where um, the control of mind and thoughts are, um, are not well maintained. Um, I personally believe that this spirit thrives in drunkenness and drug induction. Seducing spirit entices people to leave their known assignment whether that is personal identity or whether that is calling or purpose. A seducing spirit, 1 Timothy 4 and 1. A binding spirit binds people up mentally and physically. A binding spirit. A foul spirit. It's the same as unclean spirit in the sense that it's morally impure. I'm not talking about, well, I'll just leave it at that. A jealous spirit provokes people to fits of jealousy and insecurity. In fact, I would say insecurity is its greatest manifestation. A spirit of jealousy. And listen to me. If you think that that doesn't run in the church, bro, it runs rampant in the church. I'm going to say something that might offend half of my Church of God brothers that might be watching me online. But the Church of God, every quarter, releases a state paper. In that state paper is each local church's average worship service attendance, Average tithing for a quarter per month, those sort of things. And uh, if you don't think that people look in that and think very insecure and very jealous thoughts, I'm not saying the numbers themselves do it. I'm saying it's a spirit that wants to motivate. Because the Bible says if we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're not wise. So when you start invoking that, you know, you, always, you often think, well, this guy's got a bigger church than me. This guy's got more tithe dollars than me. This church got more of this, and this church got more in that. And the problem with that is everything because your local assignment is your local assignment. Your calling is your calling. Your place is your place. And even inside of a local church, sometimes if we're not careful, we see people at different levels and think that they're more important than others. And while there's maybe higher levels of responsibility in some place, everything is important. Every, king, every kingdom purpose is important. And if we're not careful, we get so insecure so easy. And listen, there's a spirit behind that. And that spirit of insecurity and jealousy 
creates a sense of hurt that is undue. It's not because somebody else doesn't see your job as important. It's because insecurely you didn't see it as important. So that's a weak spot. The enemy comes and plays on that. So fearful spirit. Grip people with fear, insecurity, even to the point of paralysis. Other spirits not mentioned in the list is confusion, homosexuality, I do believe it's a spirit, hunger, lust, rage, greed, avarice, murder, religion, occult, etc. So let's talk about demonic possession for a second. Demons seek to possess a body. They will settle for animals, obviously in Mark 5, but want a human body for their widest expression. Jesus Christ and his early disciples encountered many demons possessed, demon-possessed people and cast the devil out of them. Jesus encountered demonized multitudes numerous times, and you see the list of scriptures that are there. Friends, if we don't think that that's real today, we're, we're closing our eyes uh, to reality. You say, well, what do we do about this? What we do is, number one, don't be afraid of the enemy. Recognize that it's that we have to deal with it in church. Deal with it. Take authority over it. Be ready to deal with it. You say, be ready. What does be ready mean? It means live a life consecrated to God under the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit. Be Old saints used to call it this, prayed up. Prayed up and live a life regularly fasting. Fasting and praying. Remember Jesus, he'd been, on, he'd been on the Mount of Transfiguration and he'd been seeing Moses and, 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 and Elijah and all that stuff and he's got Peter, James, and John with him. They come back down off of the mountain. His disciples had been trying to cast a demon out of someone. They couldn't do it. He rebukes them for their faith. They get him aside and said, why could we not do this? And he explains to them because of their faith, however, this kind comes by nothing but prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. What, what is he saying that prayer and fasting is, is a, um, just a key in and of itself? No, prayer and fasting is a consecration. It is, a, it is an extreme consecration to God. It is, it is putting your spirit man ahead of your flesh man. You, you, you don't hunger yourself to get God's favor. You go through periods of fasting so that the sensitivity, sensitivity, the spiritual sensitivity of your life is elevated where you are led more by your spirit than your flesh. There, there are times you have to be led by your flesh. You don't need the Holy Spirit till you brush your teeth. You don't need the Holy Spirit till you go to the bathroom. You don't need the Holy Spirit till you cook dinner. You do, however, need the Holy Spirit to function in life and to ensure that you are sensitive to his intimate whisper. You and I have to live a life of prayer and fasting. If not, because we live in a world where we are constantly having to depend on our natural self if we're not careful, we let our inner being yield to our natural self emotionally instead of allowing our inner being to yield to the fruit of the Spirit emotionally and allow the Spirit to lead our lives from that aspect. Make sense? It's in that prayer and fasting that you're intimate with God powerful in the spirit because that's where your source of power comes from. Look, you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come up on you, but if you understand anything about the Holy Spirit, it's not one time being baptized, spoken in tongues, it's all good, I now have power. That's not how it works. You understand when the disciples later were captured, put in jail, and they were commanded never to speak in the name of Jesus Christ again, and they were beaten. They had a prayer meeting. The Bible says the whole place where they were gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. 
not not so that you know it's not that he's like here and there and here and there here and there it's just a continuational infilling a continuational empowerment a continuational lifestyle of being strong in the lord and in the power of his might uh let's see jesus had a ministry of casting out devils that wasn't his primary ministry what was his primary ministry to do the will of him who sent me to introduce the kingdom and the entrance into the kingdom, him being the way, the truth, and the life. However, through his ministry, recognizing that the prohibitor to that cause was Satan. And the demons, the minions that are operating with him. So in order to make sure that he fulfilled that call, he has power over the demons, and then he gives that to his people. The early apostles and disciples cast out devils. There are varying degrees of demonic possession. The the Gadarian demoniac was always in torment and crying out in Mark 5, while the lunatic son often threw himself in the fire and the water, yet the woman with the spirit of divination was able to walk about and operate seemingly like a normal human being. In other words, demonic possession doesn't always look like somebody foaming at the mouth. Demon possession affects people differently based upon the demon's personality. It can bring spiritual or supernatural power, palm reading, excuse me, hypnotism, psychics, martial arts. Uh oh, it freaks some people out. Yeah. Freaks some people out. Listen. <laughs> there's one there's one mode of martial arts that deals with the physical. But as you advance in it, just like any other cultish thing, it starts dealing with the mind. Center yourself. Get your power from within. You need the yin and the yang. Let me give you another one. You want to hear another one? Yoga. Stretching ain't going to bother you. But you start mind clearing in a way that those instructors teach you, I'm telling you, you are opening yourself up to the demonic realm. Breathing, breathing's fine. You can breathe. You, you can go to Lamaze classes and learn to breathe. <laughs> Did I just say that? My point being is that inside of some of those things, man, they have they have religious teachings that are of demonic origin. I'll just tell you. Uh, fire walking, it can be. Uh, Destructive behavior, suicide, cutting, depression, bulimia, anorexia, those sort of things. Demons gain entrance to lives by deception and sin. Uh, Long-term partnering with the demonic uh, through uh, arguments. Uh, Live free from sin and deception, and you'll not have to worry about demonic possession. You know, I do my very best as a pastor to try to help us and warn us about, like, the difference between someone who loves God and who makes a mistake from time to time, because we all do, versus the person who says they love God, they're faithful to church, but make excuses for those spaces in their life for continual habitual sin. And it's more than just falling away. You can come under demonic, demonic possession. Now, here's the the big question. Here's the big question. Some people will ask me from time to time, Pastor, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Possessed. If you mean ownership, possession, I'll tell you no. If you mean controlled in areas of your mind and life because you've yielded, I'm going to tell you yes. 
In other words, you say, well, if the Lord owns me, then, then I'm good. Well, I'm going to preach on Sunday a message about unmasking people. And I'm going to go ahead and give you, can I give you guys the spoiler? Will you show up on Sunday if I do? Okay, good. I'm going to give you the spoiler. Do you remember in Acts 8, Simon the sorcerer? If you look at his story, he believes. He gets baptized. He leaves sorcery for a period of time to follow the disciples around watching them pray for people to receive the Holy Spirit. But one day he says to Peter, give me this power. I will pay you if you give me this power that upon whomever I lay my hands, they will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. So amen. He believed. He even got in the water. Some scholars believe that he might have even received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There was an area of his life that he was unwilling to yield to God, which got him in trouble with the authenticity and the authentic work of the Holy Spirit. So now I ask you, how do you mean can a Christian be possessed of the Spirit? Again, I don't believe that it's full-on control in every area of your life, like maybe someone who doesn't, profess God, but I can tell you this. I can tell you that according to that passage of Scripture, that there can be areas of your life that you can come under the demonic control. It might even be, we used to call it demonic oppression. I don't know if it's demonic oppression that's kind of to be held down. Oppression needs to be, rather than to be demonized, toyed with. So, I don't know if that helps anybody out at all. I don't know if that freaks anybody out at all or not. Because I know there's a lot of people that have uh, differing ideas about those sort of things. So, And that wraps up this episode of the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. For more information about who we are, please visit us at cfbristol.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope that you have a blessed day. And as always, just like we find in Isaiah 60, verse 1, we hope you arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.